Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back like we never left. It's the Black Psychologist Podcast. We appreciate everybody tuning in worldwide, whether you're tuning in on YouTube, on Apple, on Pandora, on all of the other different streaming platforms. We appreciate you being here. Even the ones that are are tuning in and listening on the uh, not so legit streaming platforms, we we love that too. That's how you know you really made it. You know when you, you got got the bootleggers going in. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate everybody being here. I am one half of your humble and gracious host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I, and I am him. And for all of you that have been riding with us, you know I'm never here by myself. I'm here with, of course. Relax your mind. Let your conscience be free. You're now rolling with the legend, Dr. Jason C., <laughs> also known as Dr. Jason Coleman. What's going on, brother? What's going on, bro? How are you? I'm good, man. We done made it through uh, Made it through another week, so it's looking good. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, you know, we got good weather in, in Philly. It's been like, you know, 70s, almost 80s Couple last couple of days, so I'm not complaining about that. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to know if it's here to stay though, but you know, good to be back. Um, of course we want to thank everybody who tuned into the last episode comments, you know, sent us messages. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been wild weather. It's been, I know it was like 80 degrees the other day. And then like yesterday we had like a torrential downpour and then, you know, now it's back up to 70. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to take this sunshine any way I can get it, you know. So just like you said, I'm going to reiterate. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Continue to watch. Continue to subscribe. Continue to comment. Uh, we love the feedback from you guys, and we appreciate everybody continuing to ride with us. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't give this acknowledgement and salute to Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, who was recently sworn in as um, and became the first African-American female to be confirmed into the Supreme Court. All right. She is the 116th uh, Supreme Court justice, and she won by a, a vote of 53 to 47, three Republicans and two independents, along with all the other Democrats. But, um, yeah, I absolutely want to give her all the acknowledgement in the world. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you got an opportunity to see some of the highlights or watch when she was going through that whole process. But I mean, to say that it was uh Tough and stressful would be an understatement. I mean, they were throwing all kinds of questions, just inappropriate and critical race theory, and there are all kinds of just you know outlandish questions and how they were grilling her. And um, she handled it, man. I mean, the true paragon of professionalism, and you know, uh, I mean, she is it. You know, I mean, they were it would give these terrible type of um you know, backhanded compliments were there. I remember one one Republican official said, oh, she is the epitome of the American dream. 
but I can't support her. So, well, yeah, it was a, I mean, just a listen, string of those, man. But she she represented well. I mean, listen, anybody who kind of follows these confirmations, especially for these type of seats, I mean, it's theater, um, you know, so we're kind of used to that. <clears throat> the part I pay attention to, because you got to remember, um, you know, the dance is very important, right? So they're all lawyers, majority of people in Congress, House of Representatives, a lot of these people are lawyers. Um, she's superseded what most of them have achieved and what most of them will ever achieve, right? And she's headed to the highest court in the land. So even, so it's, lar- it's largely political. You didn't hear any of them disrespect or um, even try to her education or her trajectory in terms of academia. Um, and they all started off by congratulating her for all of her accomplishments, right? Because they superseded and dwarfed theirs, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not even a comparison with anybody that was questioning her. So the only time that, you know, you really got to the divide was, you know, where, when, you know, the political kind of ideology started to weigh in and it was time for them to kind of give their support or not right so we know the climate that that we're in so i don't have to kind of have any specific examples because the climate that we're in you know again you give the person all of the accolades right so that nobody can accuse you of being not conscious right but then (laughs) you retreat and you know you kind of toe the party line so you know that's 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 what we do so i'm not surprised yeah but she's in there she made it um so you know all the um all the credit all the respect and all the accolades to her because she's earned it um so speaking of which speaking of the government and um earlier last week uh two ohio house republicans introduced a bill that would ban classroom instruction on gender identity sexual orientation and critical race theory for certain grades all right so this bill is similar to the theme that was recently passed in florida um that bill that critics called the don't say gay bill so this Ohio bill would prohibit teachers from using instructional materials that discuss gender identity and sexual orientation from kindergarten to third grade. Now, for grades fourth through 12, the bill says a teacher can use uh, developmentally appropriate content for students. However, the bill would ban the teaching of critical race theory and what the bill calls inherently racist concepts to students. It also bans uh, intersectional theory, the 1619 project, diversity, equity, and inclusion learning outcomes in the inherited racial guilt. All right. So if any uh, if this bill is passed, if a teacher or a school administrator who was found to have violated this measure, they could have their license suspended and ultimately uh, terminated. So the Republicans advocating for this bill um, stated this is what they released the following statement says the classroom is a place that seeks answers for our children without political activism. Parents deserve and should be provided with a say in what is taught to their children in schools. The intent of this bill is to provide them with the tools to be able to see what their child is being taught. Yeah. Jay, when um, this is kind of like um, like the all inclusive discrimination bill, as I look at it. Right. It's like they that's your, put, <laughs> that's your that's your nickname. That's that's it. that's what I'm I'm deeming this bill. 
I mean, they pretty much checked all the boxes of like, or at least the majority of like the marginalized population what? in regards to. So I could, you know, I kind of guess that you weren't pleased. So what what parts of it were you kind of were most shocking or was most salient to you? Um, not shocking. Um, because like we talked about a little bit before we got on, this is this bill is very similar um, to some of the other bills, the bills in Florida and, and some of the other states. Um, however, this one is more includes more. Right. It's more inclusive of all these other different areas of what they don't want taught. Right. All the education and the progressive material that they don't want in the classroom. You know, I feel any situation like this, you know, they're like, this is like covert heterosexism, right? To the extent what I mean is they're using laws and policies to prevent any type of open conversation about certain identities or, you know, that will, it sends a, a strong message to like those particular identities or this particular information about race is shameful, right? It's like, no, we're not going to talk about these events in, in history. We're not going to talk about, um, you know, this particular time that we're either uh, ashamed of or it's not our best or we don't want to be talking about any form of progression. So you're they're using essentially law and policy. Um, and when you do things of that nature or when you weaponize like these type of policies, especially to kids at a young age, like it, it, ha it can have like these very serious mental health consequences, because essentially what you're saying is now that this particular individual, uh, we're not going to learn about this in school. Right. We're not going to learn about it in the area where you could possibly get, you know, empirical information. We're just not going to talk about it all. It's almost like we're just going to act as if it doesn't exist. And then, you, cool. you know, you cover it by saying, oh, well. We want parents to be able to have a say in what's in their classroom and what's being taught to their kids and so on and so forth. So wasn't surprised by it. But um, the fact that they, you know, tried to reach as many different marginalized populations and, and undercut them at the very beginning is, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty nasty. So so this is Florida. So, yeah, you know, Florida, and, uh, Florida. Florida and, and Ohio. All right. Well, I was parts of this that I was reading about was referencing Governor DeSantis. So I'm kind of really talking about Florida, right? Right. Okay. But what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is we can kind of expect this position in a conservative state. Um, I guess what I wanted to ask you about while I was reading is like they said, they're prevented from teaching about these subjects specific. Well, they didn't even touch the critical race theory piece until later in the article where they were talking about K through Eight, um, K through third grade, right, being banned. They're talking about gender identity and sexual orientation, right? So I guess what I'm wondering is, like, are kids even having health before that? And are they being taught about, like, heterosexual orientation, identity? Because now, now I'm speaking about my own experience, right? Like, I don't, I don't remember those kind of classes being brought in our curriculum until, like, around fifth or sixth grade, right? Um, so I would say this again, and I'm, I haven't read the bill, so I'm not going to act like I've read the bill. Um, but I would say this, I could understand somebody taking a position that they don't want these issues discussed between kindergarten and third grade. If they're not even being taught in the context of a health class, right? Because then who's going to teach them? Um, 
and and what is the context that these conversations are being had, right? Um, now, fourth through 12th grade, I'm going to be very honest, and I hope this isn't controversial, but I have no problem with the bill because it says developmentally appropriate, right? Developmentally appropriate is how I, I talk about everything with my kids in therapy, right? The developmentally appropriate way to talk about race, developmentally appropriate way to talk about racism, George Floyd, police brutality. I can talk to police brutality about police brutality with first graders when, if it's developmentally appropriate. So I have less problems with that. And I just kind of have more questions about the K through third, because again, if they're having health classes and they're being taught about the human body and all and sexual relationships, interpersonal relationships and all of those things, and you're saying, let's exclude this part of it. I got a problem with that. Right. But if they, but if that subject isn't being broached at all, then I then I really again I think it should be open to discussion of whether or not between K and third, not whether some of these children have identity are expressing different identities, not whether that's relevant, but whether or not it should be approached that early. So that I, I think should be still up for debate, depending on whether it's being coincide with with, with health. I can't say for certain whether it's being brought up between K to third. I mean, I would think so. Like you mentioned, when we were coming up, it was, you know, around that fifth, sixth grade. Yeah. That's I remember I this know. was this is a generation ago. Now, like we said, everything is happening more rapidly or things are happening at an earlier age. So I'm I'm of thought that the reason why they targeted K through third is that maybe it possibly is being taught or it is being brought up in that in that manner. You see what I mean? Like I would if they're going to, you know, just target that particular um, academic group, then I imagine that there are institutions or there are schools maybe that is when they're introducing it, you know, maybe um, but because but things me, are happening more are happening for me, earlier. For me in particular, like I, it would be hard for me to take a position without knowing that, you know what I mean? Right. Because, I mean, so it, because it would affect my position. Like if I was looking at the district and they were like, OK, this is not in the curriculum for K between K and, 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 and grade three. Right. We're not talking about interpersonal relationships in that way. We're not talking about human sexuality at all. We're not even talking about self-exploration, any of those things in that way. Right. Then I could understand the district saying Listen, fourth grade is when we start talking about these issues for with our children, right? So with so in fourth grade, talk about it in development the appropriate way. Right. Now, so, right. if you're telling me the health classes are happening, the gym teacher is talking about these things, their modules on 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 our bodies and, and and all of these things, right? And sexuality and all these things, and exclude this group and these topics, right? That you know, that makes me uncomfortable. So that's that's the standpoint I'm coming from. If the information is there, right, if it's being presented and you're choosing to intentionally exclude it, mm -hmm. that's where my issue comes from. You know, same thing with the critical race theory aspect of it, where we're not going to talk about certain aspects that took place in history and you're just going to choose not to. No, I have a history. I have a problem with that. Right. Because, again, then you get into like you mentioned you you talked about the, the um, 
you know, being developmentally appropriate. So that also, when they start to use language like that, that's the type of terms that they start to say, well, maybe it's not appropriate for whatever particular grade. And that's when they start to say, well, this is why we're not going to introduce her. This is why we're going to keep it out of the school system. Anytime, if there's information that exists, like you said, whether it be health, whether it be as far as history, whether it be a part of biological, you know, information about, you know, the body's exploration and things of that nature. Anytime you have a situation where you are choosing you know, a policy or you're going to use policy and laws to say, well, we're just opting not to talk about it for the reason that we want to protect our own interests. That's where, again, I have an issue. And that's what it sounds like a lot of these um, some of these conservative states are doing. Right. They're passing these bills to say, hey, you know, what? we're just not going to talk about it at all. And then we'll use the language. We can say, well, things are developing and, you know, appropriate or inappropriate, so on and so forth. And we want our parents to have more say. So they'll use that, guys. So that's where I have the issue with anytime you're excluding information that would otherwise be there, and then you're just completely just going to disregard it. Well, I'm going to be very honest, right? And I have more of a stance, like more of a, <clears throat> like a stance on critical race theory when it comes to this. But in terms of, I'm going to be very honest, like I follow politics very closely. Like I watch the news all the time, right? Um, a lot of these politicians, like, and this is, this is why I asked that because a lot of these politicians, they don't care about any of these issues. So I understand what you're saying, but a lot of them are just talk. It's just talking points, right? They're, they, the same way some people root for the giants and some people root for the jets, right? So they are, so, so they're kind of supporting the team and supporting various talking points and, my evidence would, for that would be, right, if you look on the news, like you watch, a lot of these people that are pushing back against critical race theory don't even know what it is, if we're being honest. I, I've seen it over and over and over and over. People that are advocating against critical race theory, and in their mind, it's about hating white people, right, and convincing and white guilt, right? And it's the furthest thing from that, right? When we talk about racism as a social construct versus <clears throat> systematic racism and, and 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 those type of things, institutional racism and all of those things, right? Um, and the impact of it. But there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what um, critical race theory is, even amongst educated people. It's obvious when you hear people open their mouth and talk about it. That's why, like, when I look at these bills, like, do do I think it's probably going to have a negative impact? Yes, but it's kind of difficult for me to look at it on a deep, deep, um, deep, deep level, because I think most of the people that are participating in these discussions are not doing it genuinely. And it's uh, no. obvious because of the shallowness of their conversations. Right. Um, about it. So that's why I said, like, you know, again, I'm not I'm not trying to be um, dismissive of it. But, you know, when you hear people have these conversations, a lot of times the things that they're arguing about are not even necessarily relevant to the topic, right? You hear people arguing about critical race theory and they're essentially arguing about white privilege. Okay. And they're white arguing about white guilt and that has nothing to do with it. Right. Um, they're arguing about critical race theory. Again, if, 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 if you don't do your research, then you would think that critical race theory is a new thing. It's 40 years old. Mm -hmm. You understand? So that's why it's like, 
I kind of look at this and it's like, yeah, you know, I have an opinion, but not really, because these are people just waving the red flag and the blue flag. It's, it's, it's not really that deep to me. So, again, lasting effect. Absolutely. But and that's that's the part that I'm mainly concerned about is, like you mentioned, it's political theory. I'm, you know, what I mean, political theater. Right. Like you said, it's been around for quite some time and it's like the hot topic. Right. In in, in exactly. government or or in, you know, in the political realm, they're going to have like these different bills that are going to be hot topics that they have an ch- opportunity to go on CNN, go on Fox News and they get a chance to argue. And like you said, throughout the arguing and back and forth that you've probably lost whatever people are talking about. You see people just kind of debating going back and forth. Right. Same thing with even with the abortion situation. Right. That's a hot topic. That's the thing that they're always on two opposite ends of the spectrum and debating about. The problem is, is that even though they're doing it, and I would imagine there are some people that are on the red side that probably don't even agree with what they're really saying personally. But again, they have to ride with the team. So I understand they have to go along with whatever that, you know, political agenda or ideology is. The issue is, is that the bills are real. Right. So even throughout the midst and the process of the fighting and the back and forth, if a bill gets passed, these are the bills that could potentially have the negative impact, you know, mentally and physically on, you know, as we're talking about what's good, you know, what kind of education is going to get, you know, the, the kids are going to get exposure to. So that's the issue, you know, that I am, I'm concerned about mainly, like you mentioned is the impact, right? Because eventually these, these bills are real and people are going to be impacted by this. And unfortunately, whether it be a bill that's targeting someone's, you know, access to sexual education or their access to history, right? African-American history and, and addresses systemic racism. Like someone's getting impacted by that. And I mean, the same way how we were able to have access to information, world history, American history, whatever the case may be, the people or the kids behind us, my kid, you know what I mean? Their grandkids, their kids, further generations need to also have that same access. So you know, I mean, it's something to continue to monitor, right? Because, again, this is going to be an ongoing thing. But it does look like these bills are getting more and more, like, inclusive of, okay, we don't want them to learn about this. We don't want them to learn about that. We don't want them to learn about this. We're going to exclude that. Because, like, in Florida, it's just talking about, you know, the sexuality or the orientation or identity. This one is, you know, in Ohio, they got four or five different issues on this bill. And, you know. So that's you see that trend is starting to kind of grow where they're just going to try to. All right, we're going to go after every marginalized population. And again, I don't mean to be dismissive, but it's not surprising that these are all either important states to the presidential election or swing states. And they all involve people that we will see too much of in 2024 on the campaign trail. Right. And if we go down what's in the bill, it's essentially Republican talking points. That's why it's like, again, I don't even want to get into my faith or, or or lack of faith in the political system at this point. I don't even want to get into it. But as you can probably hear from my tone through this through this section, I've had enough. You don't you don't have faith in our, our, our political system? I've had enough. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. Like I've had enough. So yeah. All right. Speaking of uh someone that's had enough, uh a couple weeks ago, unfortunately um 
Hollywood megastar, action star Bruce Willis uh, and his family announced that the actor would be stepping away from his acting career after being diagnosed with aphasia, which is a language disorder caused by damage in a specific area of the brain that controls language expression and comprehension. Uh, aphasia uh, leaves a person unable to communicate effectively with others. So according to reports, all right, ready for this, Jay? According to reports, many filmmakers now say that they were concerned for years regarding Willis's health and that he struggled to meet the demands of his handlers and other different expectations while filming movies. He said directors were asked to keep the star's dialogue short and his days on the set to a minimum. Even that was uh, even them with those precautions or measures that they put in place were reportedly sometimes challenging for the actor. There were rumors that swirled and stories were swapped on sets um, that directors and fellow actors reportedly worked very hard to protect Willis uh, and to keep production going to make sure that he looked good in the final cut. Despite all of his struggles and that, you know, that it appears that directors and movie producers were observing from him, the film rooms, they uh, they kept coming. The movies kept coming, Jay. Like 21 movies in the last four years. Like he's due to appear in several films this year are going to be released. One uh, one's including um, Gasoline Alley and Fortress Sniper's Eye. These sound like uh, I'm not going to hold you. They sound like like straight to DVD movies. I, I don't know. <laughs> you ever see like those movies like on Netflix? And you see like a whole bunch. You're like, damn, when did this come out? Like, yeah, man. Yeah, 50, that's, had that's, a bunch, 50 had a bunch of them. Yeah, him and 50, man. Him and 50 are like neck to neck. I'm like, damn, 50 got like 30 movies out now. You know, um, Jay, as, as you saw this come out, man, um, what's your take on this? Um, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, like, listen, Bruce Willis is one of my favorites growing up. Die Hard is one of my favorite movies. Um, you know, on a lighter note, it's, it's definitely not a Christmas movie, but it's, it's, it's one of the best action movies that it's has ever Christmas came out. It's a Christmas movie, bro. It's, it's a Christmas yeah. movie. Okay. Okay, man. You're, you're going to watch it. You're going to watch it during Christmas. You know it and I know it. It's going to come on. Right. You're going to watch it. All right. All right. Listen, so, you know, again, you you talked about aphasia. Um, you know, basically, uh, you know, it's a language, you know, um, compreh- and comprehension disorder. Um, definitely affects all parts of a person's life. Um, the first thing I thought about uh, when I when I kind of read this was um, what you said, right? They asked to keep like his role short into a minimum, right? So it was a concerted effort to kind of keep the focus off of him, right? So what that says to somebody like me is that he was showing symptoms, right? Whether that was in terms of him not being to, able to understand people speaking to him, not being able to comprehend speech, not being able to formulate language, problems reading the script, all of these can be common symptoms depending on what kind of aphasia, um, because they really just said aphasia. They didn't say whether it was Broca's aphasia, uh, Wernicke's aphasia, whatever. Um, But again, it saddened me, right? Because you have his family coming out and saying he's gonna take a break, right? So my question is kind of like, where was the family, right? Because obviously he's a cash cow. But these things don't necessarily usually happen overnight. So you don't see a person that wakes up, you know, one day and then all of a sudden um, you see all of these symptoms of aphasia. Right. It's usually 
kind of like a slowly developing buildup where you can document and see symptoms, right? Um, and the way the article laid it out is kind of like everybody noticed, right? They have the quote from the director saying, concerned for years, but nobody was concerned enough to stop collecting the checks, right? So um, again, they say Hollywood failed Bruce Willis, and I don't want to be, I know this is going to sound foul, right? But that's like saying somebody's job worked them into the ground. No, if you got to, you got to, if your family is allowing you to get up and go to work because you're the only one working, you know, then your family failed you respectfully because what does Hollywood owe him? If we're just being honest, right? We're talking about from the standpoint of humanity and decency, right? Um, but your family is who you end up taking care of. Those are the people who reap the benefits of your gift, right? So I know he's not married, but I, I think he has no, he, children. He's, he's married. He's oh, married. yeah. He's well, married. Uh, I think to a, to a second wife, I think. Well, all I can say is, and I'm not making any, you know, I, I'm not making any assumptions, but you got to be very careful of who you surround yourself with um, because um, the people that, again, the people that benefit off your gift, you know, should be the ones protecting you. Should, but that's not always going to be the case. Yeah, that's um, this hurt, man. Uh, you know, cause this this is John McClain, Jay. This yeah, is the general. Yeah, this is Jip, this is Yippee Kaye, man. That's that's who this <laughs> is. <laughs> you know, like this is John McClain. Like this is this is my guy, and uh, you know. I mean, we we know everybody's gonna experience some form of health issues. Um, however, like it was, it was mind blowing just to, you know, hear that this was an open secret on right. a set. Right. That's what this was, and it appeared that everybody knew what was going on, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, the family, they have you know a role and responsibility, and whoever the people are around them, his agent, his handlers as they mentioned you know all of them have you know uh a hand in this you know yeah you want to say hollywood filled them yeah sure hollywood but i feel like you have to get more um pay more attention to like his his macro system his micro system, right like you have to look at it like there's certain people i'm not going to say hollywood because you know what the fact that he's making a stream of all these terrible films um like 21 films in four years, that doesn't mean you're, you're not putting out like Academy winners, right? These are like right. action films and, and so on and so forth, right? Straight to DVD, C-list movies. So, of course, yeah, the production companies are going to do what they're going to do. Like, oh, Bruce Willis is attached to it? Yeah, you know what? Do whatever you need to do to, to keep him, you know, functional and so on and so forth. But your agent, those people who are supposed to be, like you said, if they're not your family, and family absolutely plays a role in this, but those other ones, those are the ones who should have essentially stopped him from being taken advantage of in this situation. Like It's the same situation where um, where you have in sports, right? Someone gets a concussion. You're not supposed to let him go back out there. Like, I understand, okay, the NFL and maybe the team, but the doctor... Right. Or whoever, like the closer people, like even the coach or like your like your teammate, like there are supposed to be certain people, like we said, supposed to and should are the key terms in this. 
right? Yo, but we saw this. We saw. I hate to see this take place. They did the same thing with Stan Lee. You remember Stan Lee? Like people right, around that, him were taking advantage of him and and siphoning off money from him. It, it, it's terrible. It's heartbreaking, man. But that that's what I think. Like I agree with the sentiment of what you said, but I just bear with me. That's what I think makes it a little different from the sports analogy because at least your teammates, like I agree with you hundred percent with the doctor, right? Cause that's his responsibility, but that's at least your teammates, your teammates and your coach want to win. Right. But they have no financial, they have no financial interest in whether you go back in the game. Right. Think about to me, this whole situation saying Hollywood is at fault or failed them is like saying a rock and roll star or a rapper dies of a drug overdose and you blame the record company for giving him money no that's fair and then you go home and everybody's driving a rolls royce your mama his brothers everybody got their house y'all look the other way because he because he was the cash cow right? right and that's why i said you got to go back to the people that were benefiting from the gift and so like, that's that's what I'm thinking, because it's like, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not pocket watching. I don't know much, how much he makes <laughs> off of each movie. Each movie. I mean, so I would imagine this, pocket, that's the definition. Right? of pocket <laughs> I would imagine that he's done well or he's doing well financially. However, you're you're absolutely right in the sense of like the people that are benefiting, you know, who because that's who it is. Right. They're benefiting <laughs> from him getting these movies and getting this, this quick money like they're. Like what's happening out there, right? Like what's happening? They're completely taking advantage, and it's the people closer to them because they're the ones getting this money. Listen, you know? I'm people that love you will tell you in a minute. Damn, this money. People that said love you tell you that in a minute. We have a million examples of, of it every day. You know what I'm saying? Like so, if you got 21 movies in four years, you got to look at the family and people around you. And I guarantee you, they all driving Benzes. And I'm saying that a little tongue in cheek, but brother, you can't blame the the you can't blame Hollywood. You can't blame Lionsgate Studios. They're not a medical facility. You know what I mean? Like, bro, you you gotta blame the he's getting out of the bed in the morning, right? And he's and he's leaving out to go start his day. He kissed somebody goodbye. He said goodbye to somebody, right? Talk to that. Start with that person. Because if you can't read a script, right, or you can't understand or comprehend language and people have to feed you lines and, and all of that, and, and brother, then, then trust me, that doesn't just, as you know, it doesn't just stop at the studio, right? Those same, that same compensation has to happen at home, too. I mean, it does highlight um, another aspect of Hollywood. And like I said, not just Hollywood. And like you said, there's absolutely a lot of responsibility that falls on family and people close to them. But if we're looking at it, like you have to look at Hollywood as this hungry business because a lot of people will paint it like, oh, it's great. You get in there, you, you make <laughs> money. So, oh my gosh, it's a great lifestyle. But you have to understand that Hollywood is a business. And these yeah. producers and all the things are doing what they're going to do in regards to, hey, we have to keep this declining old man working just a little bit longer so we can continue to cast these checks so he can be, you know, do these movies. We, we don't care if he's making, if he's only saying one line in the whole action sense in the whole scene, 
We just need him in there. We need him upright. We need him to, you know, walk through these scenes. And this, this is how it's a business. It's a cash cow. Look at what you just said. We need him upright. We need him upright. He's. And now and here's the thing, right? Here's here's the Listen, even more man, part. Because the, the prognosis. Right. Because you need in order for you to increase like someone's prognosis with aphasia, you need to have speech, speech and language therapy. Right. Reduce background and noise distraction and rest. What part of that, right, is going on to a movie set? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and doing action yo, films because it's going, it's going somewhere else. You man. see what I'm saying? Like this, this is a wanna... disservice, right? This is the disservice that the people close to him. I don't you know, they, it's sad, it, man. It's sad. I don't want to make light of it, but it's it's, it's sad. sad. And again, the absurdity is in the title, right? Because exactly. it's misdirected. Look at his family. Like, listen, they weakened at Bernie's, them, yo. Yeah. They turned him into weekend at Bernie's. That's it. Yeah, it's not it's not supposed to go out like that. Oh, really quick before we before we uh get into the next topic, since we're on Hollywood update. Um they gave your boy Will 10 years um suspension from the academy. <laughs> Did that uh what are, what are your quick thoughts about that? Is the punishment like fit the crime? What do you think? All right. No, I mean that's all they could do, but all right, first of all. Will Smith was not going to win another Oscar in the next 10 years anyway. He just won Best Actor. He won the, the highest honor you could ever win. He's the fifth black man to ever win it, or, or fifth black person to ever win it. I'm not sure which one it is. But either one, right? He wasn't winning again in the next decade anyway. He smacked Chris Rock on stage and got to sit there and got a standing ovation. What else were they going to do? There's nothing left that that there's nothing left. You know what I mean? Um, just I don't know, but appropriate maybe. What'd you think? Uh, now nah, I don't think uh, this is. I don't know if this really does anything to him actually attending the awards. Like I, I really felt like that. Well, who wants to go anyway? I mean, but right. You know, I looked at this more like okay, we've been starting to see some of like. Well, not not some, but the majority, if not all of his movies being postponed. Right. So you're starting to see like a lot of the different production companies. I did see one of those. Yeah, they're they're, you know, delaying the movies, putting them on hold. Now, I also feel like the Academy does have there is some overlap with that because the Academy has a relationship with the production companies, with the distributing companies. So if the distributing companies, because that's really all they can do is slow up the money. Right. So. If the, if the distributing and the production companies that are in bed with the Academy, if Warner Brothers and Paramount and Universal all the rest of them are like, hey, he's not he's not on our, on our list, you know, then they're going to start holding up different films and other different things. And he's you know, he's going to be out of work probably for a little bit. I don't know how long that'll be. So that's like the yeah. only overlap that I see with the Academy being like, oh, you know, this is our stance and we're not messing with him or we're not really in partnership with him right now. That'll affect any future projects. But as far as like attending, no, I don't, I don't feel like that's, you know, yeah, man. He's, yeah. Listen, he's three, he's 350 mil up. Yeah. He'll be all yeah. right. So, but um, I mean, it is, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a shame because uh, real quick, a lot of people aren't talking about, you know, the effect that it had on Chris. I mean, we talked about it briefly on the last episode, but, you know, there's a lot of trauma that goes in that Chris experienced as a child, right? That a lot of people aren't really discussing of how that particular incident has an impact on him. So, 
you know, we'll see, man. But it's, uh, it's, just, it's, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was watching, um, I was watching an interview he did with the Breakfast Club. I don't even know if it was this year, but he was talking about. So I'm not the one saying it, but he was talking about that he has NVLD, which is a nonverbal learning disorder, and he was talking about. And it's, it's, yo, it, the timing of this is so crazy, right? right. So he was talking about MVLD, like I had to look it up myself, right? And one of the direct, he was talking about the way he found out was that one of his friends told him, I think you have autism. No, Asperger's. Because it's right? like social he, cues, that joint, right? right? Right, right. So he was talking about how one of the ways it's affected him his whole life is he could be talking to you. And unless you say something to him, right, he won't pick up on the social cues. So he's like, yo, it'll affect him in all different ways. So he's like, he could be talking to like a woman or a person. And if they're interested in him, he wouldn't know unless you verbally tell, tell them. Right. And if you and if you think about how this works with people with autism, with people with sensory, all of these challenges. Right. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened. Right. He made an ups- He made a joke. Right. That Will Smith did not fine funny right then he thought he fixed it because he said yo that was a nice one right the gi jane thing right Mm -hmm. then will smith gets up right starts walking towards him in that type of manner right and this is the the part that nobody understands right Mm -hmm. but this will give you a little context because nobody can understand why will smith will be walking towards chris brown chris rock in an aggressive manner and Chris Rock is standing there smiling and appears to kind of lean forward like he almost wasn't anticipating it at all. Right? He didn't he didn't get like a defensive stand or like most people would have. Most like, people, yeah. most people would have knocked Will Smith into the front row you or at least would have like kind of braced himself, like would have stepped back or something like there was no there, there form of been like, a reaction or anything. Posture. There would have been right. a defensive posture. Correct. The, the, Fight or flight doesn't even include leaning out like that or freeze, bro. You understand? So what I'm saying is this was his explanation. But what I'm saying is it gives a little context to why he why he behaved that strange before and after. So it's interesting that you brought that up. But I was watching that today. It's funny. It's a it's a it's a um, interview he did with the Breakfast Club. You can get it. You can see it online. I'm going to check and it out. And it's called um, MVLD. Nonverbal. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I knew it was. I knew, it sounded familiar. I knew it had something to do with like not like social cue deficits. Yeah. I, I thought. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out. All right. Cool. All right. So Jay, uh, speaking of people that uh, are in love and do strange, bizarre, overwhelming mm-hmm. things for their uh, for their significant other or partner. Mm-hmm. All right. Spring is here, my man. All right. Yep. And uh, the mask and air travel, I mean, air travel mandates have become less restrictive. Restaurants are opening up. Concerts and festivals are happening. People are out, man. People are out and they're meeting. You know, relationships are popping. But the question is, as people go in these relationships, are you really in love or is it trauma bonding? Right. And the question is, can you spot the difference between a healthy bond with somebody and a toxic one? That's a good question. Especially, like you said, it's opening up. People are meeting people. Everyone's Mm -hmm. feeling great, you know. So 
being swept off your feet and meeting new people that you feel like is the one uh, can feel like a fairy tale, you know? However, we all know that fairy tales don't really exist. They're only in Disney movies. Um, So we really need to be aware of uh, things that, you know, we experience. So trauma and unhealthy dating habits uh, have a way of kind of masquerading as love at times. And if you're not aware, you could get caught in a very unhealthy and possibly dangerous situation. All right. So trauma bonding that's come up. So what is trauma bonding? So real quick. Trauma bonding is essentially is the attachment of an abused person who feels for their abuser, specifically in a relationship. It's like a, um, you know, it's a physical uh, pattern of abuse. Okay, so it cycles. All right. So the question is, how do we know? when we're either in a trauma bonding or when we're in a loving relationship. Now, usually there are always like, uh, there tend to be red flags that should alert you to any potential problems that you might be encountering in a relationship. You know, a lot of times abusers will, uh, they'll use their past traumas to relate to like their potential partner um, to kind of reel them into a relationship, right? And use like intimate details shared by their partner as like a method of kind of way to control them. Um, however, in this article that, um, you brought across to us, there are, there were listed some signs and signals to be aware of in the trauma bond. All right. So we're going to roll through a couple of these. All right. Signal number one or sign number one is that the relationship is moving too fast. Okay. So one of the signs is that anytime you have a person who is an abuser and they're looking to get into a relationship, they might be trying to move things on quickly as they possibly can from the very beginning. So, you know, if you're on the receiving end of this, it may feel like it's romantic and it's like a whirlwind love affair, right? Like it's, ah, this is love at first sight. This is great. Person wants to be with me all the time. Oh my gosh, you're so into me. However, it could be a sign of trauma bonding. What do you think about this, Jeff? Uh, I mean, I, listen, context is, context is everything, right? Right. Um, so, I, I mean, again, I could see this being a factor in, you know, traumatic relationships. I mean, just in terms of, I guess, a person, most people are going to take their time moving into relationships in general, right? And I would say that, I would feel safe saying that people that would move faster into relationships or be kind of more vulnerable to that might be the same type of people that are, might be a little bit more vulnerable for some to somebody kind of controlling them or, co- or or that coercive kind of control that we see in like domestic abuse and those type of relationships. So again, um, is everybody that moves into a fast whirlwind relationship, is it toxic? Is it going to be? No, but what we're kind of talking about and what I get a sense of they're trying to do in the article is these are kind of ingredients, right, that can go into a stew, right, that can end up being a trauma bond. It doesn't necessarily mean that each of these these ingredients individually means that you're in a traumatic relationship. But, you know, I can see it. Yeah, Um, I I do think, like you said, if it's not... A situation where it is trauma bonding, I think moving a relationship too fast is a red flag, right? There could be various different uh issues there or some uh other different situations and circumstances there. Yeah, know? watch out, man, because most of the time people want to move too fast, especially if they want to move in, 
yeah. know, check and see if they have their have an apartment. Most of the time, it, there's usually a need they want to fulfill. You know, <laughs> most most of these people, especially some of these dudes, they just need somewhere to stay. You know? Yeah, so, man. Yeah, listen, they 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 slick. <laughs> they <need somewhere> <laughs> They're slick. They'll get in there. You know, they don't want to leave after they hang out over there. Like, let's always go to your place and stuff. Hey, man. Hey. That's my that's my hypothesis on that one. <laughs> All right. The second sign could be uh, if you have a preoccupation with always presenting the good in your partner. So you might say things like, well, he's only controlling because of the way he grew up. So mm-hmm. if you find yourself doing this excessively, then this may be a sign that you are bonding to your partner's trauma and allowing it to cloud your judgment. Uh, You know, if you're doing this, if you're always having a situation where, you know, you don't want outsiders to criticize, you know, your relationship or that person in any shape or form, you'll consistently start to make excuses for them, even though there are negative things happening. So uh, what do you think? What's your take on this, Jeff? I mean, I, I don't disagree. My experience with this kind of in real life is like, you know, you run into these people, both males and females, you know, in general that, you know, they find people who are kind of like projects to them, right? Mm-hmm. People that they want to fix. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times the people that they want to fix, right? Um, a lot of times what, what makes us affiliate with people, what makes us attracted to people, what makes us like people aren't necessarily... Um, the things that are good for us, right? Because we don't necessarily know why, right? Why somebody makes us feel good or safe or loved. A lot of us don't even understand or have never operationalized what those terms even mean, right? But we put so much stock into it. Um, And what people have to understand is, especially if you have a history of abuse and neglect, especially if it happens at an early age and especially if you've experienced trauma from an intimate caregiver or family member, right? Um, It's very possible that your understanding, you know, of relationships, right? Of love, of safety, right? Um, How you interpret internal cues and interpret those things is different, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why a lot of times people need to go to therapy, right? Because you are not gonna understand why you end up with somebody that continues to emotionally abuse you, why you keep attracting those people, right? And then a lot of times people think that, you know, they end up intensifying their symptoms because they feel like, oh, I'm just a bad person because I keep attracting these people. Maybe I just deserve it, right? But a lot of times these experiences that we have, right? um, And it goes on on a surface level in terms of our relationships, right? And on a physiological level, right? In terms of our brain and those connections, Right. Um, Those associations, abuse, love. Right. Once those associations change, um, a lot of times we need clinical intervention. We need help, you know, to kind of, for lack of a better term, untangle those associations. Right. And form new healthy ones. Yeah, I believe if you are constantly having to make excuses for your partner's negative or bad behavior, that is a huge not even a, I'm not even going to say a sign or a red flag like that's that's a stop sign like that's that's a a whole, you know, red light, you know, well, because what ultimately ends up happening is that you'll start to blame yourself for what goes wrong in the relationship. And that partner, like you said, with that controlling factor, will start to blame you for those things. 
right? It shouldn't be a situation where you're continually having to dance around and make excuses for that behavior because then it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get progressively more intense, more unhealthy. So while that may not just be with trauma bonding, that's a huge red light for any situation. So you shouldn't have, you know, that shouldn't be a part of the relationship that one of your responsibilities is that you have to make excuses for this person's, you know, negative behavior. So uh, Yo, just you know, just as a general rule of thumb, if you have to consistently make excuses for your partner's behavior to your loved ones after your partner is gone, then um, it's probably not the person for you because in general, in the real world, right, most people put on their best behavior. <laughs> you know, around, you know, your friends and family, right? And especially of your significant other. So if you have to consistently explain away, you know, somebody's behavior, you're probably not the one. Absolutely not. And uh, number three, uh, you have an extreme fear of abandonment. All right. So fear of abandonment can lead to you to lending yourself to any type of treatment because you want to stay with someone no matter what. This typically be uh, tends to be the most common theme that you see in a lot of relationships uh, most of the time, but can be subtle. So what are your thoughts about that being a flag of trauma? Bond? I mean, yeah, but that's just honestly, that's a symptom or that's going to be make somebody vulnerable, anybody vulnerable, whether they have a trauma history or not, just to being in a bad relationship and being a victim. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I look at this as more of a sign of like working on yourself prior to you getting into a relationship. Right. Because if you're already if you're coming in with these abandonment issues, then one, your the partner's going to see that automatically. Right. Right. A partner is going to pick up on that and is absolutely going to use that to their advantage um, Two, there's going to be issues, whether the issue is not like trauma bonding, whether it might just be a bad relationship. You're still going to stay in that situation because of whatever residual issues have that have contributed to that fear of abandonment. Like you're just going to stay in bad situations overall, no matter what the circumstances. So um that's something where if you are have some form of awareness or people have brought that to your attention, um, that's something I, you know, highly recommend you work on that, whether it be through therapy, whether it be just through any other different helpful resource and doing that prior to you getting into a relationship, because that no relationship is probably going to be healthy or going to work on your benefit. If you have that, you know, fear of abandonment. But again, that's again, that's just, the other impact of right early relationships, whether it be childhood, interpersonal relationships, um, or romantic relationships, right? Um, in terms of those associations, mm -hmm. right? Um, and how those associations impact your level of anxiety in terms of right your fear of being able to, to survive or manage, you know, alone, right? Um, which is going to keep you with a person that continues to hurt you. So, um, again, clinical intervention is important. Um, you know, especially if you're going to continue, you know, to try to initiate or or maintain like romantic relationships, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, you know how it is like family. Um, and again, we were just talking about it with Bruce Willis, right? Like family kind of will will maintain you a lot of times in a maladaptive state, right? For whatever reason, 
either because they're used to it, either, either because they get something out of it, you know, or or whatever. Um, you know. Yeah, totally. Now, if you're fortunate enough to make it through one of these relationships and not have to go through trauma bonding, mm-hmm. you know, you mm-hmm. may find yourself as a parent. And there is a new parenting trend on the rise, Jay. Oh, All right. Man. Ready for this? A growing number of moms have been using magic mushrooms to enhance their parenting abilities. All right. Uh, So as the movement to decriminalize um, psychedelics in the U.S. grows, more scientific evidence suggests that magic mushrooms have mental health benefits and people have been increasingly becoming open to the practice. All right. So there is a population of mothers. um, I'm sorry. There has been a population and there's been more mounting uh, body of research suggesting that um, psilocybin, which is uh, has therapeutic benefits for depression, anxiety um, and trauma. However, it does lack the research on microdosing because that's what a lot of these mothers are using um, in, reg- in terms of um, using it for these benefits that they're saying. However, there's a lack of research on the microdosing as far as it's like it's long term risk. All right. And some of these um, listen, these these moms, they are swearing <laughs> by it, man. Let me tell you. All right. So I'm gonna read a couple of the quotes. Right. So one mom went on record to say uh, that it made her feel as if her world was in order and everything flowing around it as it should. All right. She's able to watch her daughter all day, study for school, work. And while all all this is happening, she's able to feel a sense of calm that she's never felt before. Another mom noted. Right. This mom is from from San Diego. This mom stated that while taking uh, psilocybin on and off throughout college and during pregnancy and after giving birth, helped her avoid passing trauma onto her son, who is almost two. All right. So, Jay, as um, this is starting to grow, uh, what do you think? Uh, well, I kind of got two different. I thought about this two different ways. The first is um, this is not really new research in terms of um, the positive kind of implications in terms of on mood. Right. Anxiety disorders, that type of stuff like that research has been out there. Like, I've, you know, I've, I've seen articles, so it's not. Um, new in terms of that um, example, you know, you had the woman in the article talking about taking a hundred milligram pill um, for a year since she experienced like postpartum symptoms, right? <clears throat> that I kind of have no, I don't really have any problems with that, right? That's under the guise of a doctor is being prescribed, right? They're in states where it's legal um, and they got to go to a dispensary to get it. Um, fine. Right. Um, I think the biggest obstacle that a lot of these women are going to have um, is like the stigma, right? Um, so just think, think the stigma that marijuana had and still kind of has in certain circles of people being like ditzy and like loafers and all of that type of stuff. It's probably going to be 10 times worse when it comes to mushrooms, right? Um, and then you're going to have people who are directly going to try to, you know, relate this to your parenting skills. Um so I think they're going to deal with that. That's going to be difficult. Um, where I see the the danger is also within the article. Fun, and it's funny because one of the ladies, not a, not a first woman I agree with. She was talking about postpartum. She's taking it to manage her mood. The other woman that you were talking about, 
right? She was talking about taking it so that she wouldn't pass on trauma to her son, right? The, all of the implications from what she was saying was that this, this, this isn't under a doctor's order, right? This, is, this was her deciding, not saying that her trauma wasn't real, but she said she experienced like sexual abuse or, and some other type of trauma during her childhood. So this is her deciding that this is what helps her and this is what she needs, right? Um, and her taking it during her pregnancy, which is not recommended by medical doctors, and afterwards. So this is essentially a person who is just self-medicating, right? Um, this, I think, is a very big problem. That, I think, is a, potentially a very big problem because you can't have people that just say, I'm just going to use my drug of choice. That's a problem, right? Um, I also will say the fact that these moms are now, if you're directly connecting it to an anxiety disorder, mood disorder and saying it helps my parenting. Cool. But if you are telling me that you had suicidal ideation, you wanted to hate, hurt your baby. Right. And this is directly related to your confidence. All then therapy needs to be attached. Right. Because the mic, the, the pill is going to help you with emotional regulation of parenting skills. So. It's a lot of it's a lot to this. You know what I mean? And so um, that, what, what, that was my think? issue. That was that was, those were a couple of my issues. Um, was the regulation and dosing aspect of of this intervention, if that's what you want to call it, because there's no agreed upon dose or like schedule of microdosing. Like it's like people have suggested taking either one tenth or maybe one twentieth of a dose. And it's, you know, like there's no regulation with that. Like, so like you said, you could have somebody who's just like, oh, I'm going to take this dose and you'll, we'll see how it goes. Like you may have a whole type of psychedelic trip while you're trying to watch your kid or you're trying to right. do something like you're, you're essentially like putting yourself and whoever else around you in danger. So that's kind of my concerns. And there's also the health concerns aspect of it. Right. So because there haven't been any long term studies done, um, you could potentially be risking uh, cardiac issues. Right. And you could have like risk of heart valve, um, all these other different type of cardiac related conditions that are associated with taking mushrooms long term. I think that's where kind of my concern is. Um, and so I think more research needs to be done with this. And I understand like, you know, where it has been helpful for some people's anxiety and things, but some of the symptoms that some of these moms, or at least the people that came forward in the article, like you mentioned, have nothing to do like mushrooms is not going to help you with, with that. Right. It's not going to not pass your trauma on to your two-year-old son. It's not going to, you know, your suicidal thoughts and things of that nature. Like no, a clinician and you finding the right therapist or psychologist is going to be something that's going to be helpful for those particular issues. But I fear that um, they're going to put this particular new or well, not new, but I guess this, this strategy and it's going to be like a one size fits all or, or it does everything. So that's kind of what my concern is. Um, and so I'm just uh, I, I don't know. I've just more research needs to be done with this. You know? I mean, listen, it'll be interesting, but I mean, again, I just think when you listen to them talk, <clears throat> what you hear, and and I'm saying like, um, apart from the, you know, the woman I was talking about her postpartum, 
what you really hear is popular culture and social media, right? Um, trauma and mental health, like we talked about this. You throw these words around, right? So my trauma, and I'm not being dismissive, but again, this is what happens when you have people thinking that trauma is like a uniform that you could put on and take off, right? Or just da dance away on TikTok. Right. I have trauma today. My trauma kept me from school. Trauma is keeping me. It's not. It, it, it's 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 not like a sneaker that you put on or take off, right? And I think, I think that's the gift and the curse, right? Because the good thing about social media is that people don't look at you weird when you say trauma or mental health now, right? But the bad thing about it is me getting caught in traffic and being late for work is not mental health or my mental health or trauma, right? Stress isn't a mental health disorder. We have conflated all of this stuff, right? And I think you, you have problems, again, it's the gift and the curse because more access and more information means exactly that, more access and more information, right? So people are going to have their own interpretations and you have somebody that's talking about self-medicating with mushrooms to, to prevent passing on trauma to her child, which is, I mean, listen, it's impossible. Right. I know I know we can talk about physiological and some biological markers and but, but on the general level, you you understand you you have to deal with your trauma. Right. You That's, on on a general level, man, some of these moms were they had they were speaking with conviction about this particular drug. I mean, one mom said that it helped me arrive at motherhood in such a well-informed way. And it gave me a, a boost of optimism immediately. Yeah. And so my question is, has have these women or these moms, have they taken mushrooms before? Like, do, do they know the effects of what mushrooms do? Like this, the, the symptoms of when you're on a high, right, with mushrooms includes energized, right, exciting, excitement, and like being all of the people and things and what you're doing around you. So so that's also was my question or kind of taking this into consideration of that. You know what? When you take mushrooms, yeah, you're going to feel great. You know, you're going to feel great about you're going to have this inflated sense of purpose, of your ego, of your functioning. So that's another thing that I'm also wondering if they're misconstruing that, you know what, the fact that I'm having this euphoric feeling, and of course, I don't feel any of my trauma. I don't feel any of these other different negative symptoms, because like you said, it's like any other drug, right? You're self-medicating. And what do what happens when you self-medicate? Things go away, right? All the pain, all the suffering, all those other different things that you don't like. Yeah, you feel a lot better for yourself is one of the main components of why people get high. So, you know, I'm concerned because I don't know if that was the same mom, but the other mom, an article said that despite it not being legal in the area that she's in, she's willing to go to jail for it. Like, yeah, yeah like that's not a healthy perspective where you're just like, yo, I have to have this particular, I have to have my, you know, oh, yeah. oh, mushrooms, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. if not, I'm willing to go to jail for it. Yeah. You know, forget my kid. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go. That sounds like it could be the beginning or manifested into manifesting as some, some, some form of addiction. I don't know. I'm just saying like there, there's, like yeah. you said, it, it's becoming popular and that's, there's, that's danger when you don't have other informations to kind of either guide or regulate this um, in a healthy manner. So 
Um, we'll see, man. But I, I live. This, this is a, a little questionable for me. Yeah, I mean, listen, man. It's it was a small sample, and uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about that. Yeah. All right, Jay. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Anything you got uh, planned for the weekend? What's no, up, man. I'm um, I'm just try to get you know a little bit of sun, get some air out there. You know, try to spend some time outside. But other than that, it's just regular, you know. So, okay. you what do, what do you got planned? Uh, like we talked before we got on, man. I'm I'm gonna try to um. I'm going to try to check out these playoffs, these NBA playoffs getting on. You know, uh, my guy Luca is out. So, you know, we're probably going to be out not too long after, you know. I'm about to watch something tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got uh, Atlanta versus uh, Cleveland's on. You got Ice Trey out there. So, yeah, that's, um, you know, I'm going to try to get a little bit of that, some self-care in there. Um, You know, other than that, get ready for the top of of next week, you know. That's what we'll do. I can dig it, man. Just, um. As always, I want to thank anybody who took the time to watch. Um, appreciate anybody who takes the time to watch and like the videos. Um, you know, thank you, of course. Appreciate it. Humbled by the support. And we're going to uh, continue to keep the content coming. Absolutely. Yes. Continue to subscribe, like, even if you don't like it, like it anyway, and tell people. All right. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we do. Yeah, right, I like Jay. that line. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jay, until next episode, I get at you, my friend. All right, bro. Later. All right.